Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are I want to present something to our church, and I want to present something into the direction that we're heading, and I want you to know our hearts, because sometimes you come on Sunday like, well, what's the heart? What's the vision? What, what, are, you try- what are you doing here? Um, if you look around, the Lord is doing something, and he's doing something in our midst, and he's doing something in us, and, and I told our leadership this. I said, I believe that this year is a special year, and I, mean, and I believe that one of the main focuses because of where we've been at the last three to four years and where many churches have been at in the last two years or so. I believe that this is what God's calling our family into right now. And I believe that he's calling us to focus within. And as we focus within, we're going to start growing within before we ever grow without. We're going to start growing inside before we start focusing on what's outside. That's going to be our main focus. And our main focus is to really figure that out and to really focus on that, that that could be our main focus. And church, I want you to agree with me or not, and I'm going to be very transparent. Sometimes your transparency could get you in trouble, but I will welcome that because there's always room to grow. So I said this. I said the direction of the leadership is going to be the direction of our church. The direction that the leadership takes will be the direction that our church takes. Do you guys agree with that? Because we're supposed to be hearing from the Lord and directing in the way that the Lord is calling us to direct the family. And, and we have to make sure that we're sensitive to that, that we know the word of God, that we're speaking the truth of God's word, and that we're, that we're not shorthanding the Lord and what he wants to do. And now a lot of that comes in accountability with our leadership and accountability with a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations that happen outside of a Sunday. So I think that's very important as we focus on this year as we feel like this is a year where we're reestablishing, reinventing, we're really aligning ourselves and hearing from the Lord to say, like, what's the direction? I was with a bunch of pastors the other day, and we had lunch together. I think it was on Friday. And one of the pastors, successful ministry in the sense of what God's doing there is beautiful. He's reaching many souls, and many souls are coming to the kingdom, and there's a lot of testimonies that are coming out of his, out of his ministry. He shared something that touched my heart. And it's something that I knew, but to hear from another pastor among pastors, it really blessed me. And there's a lot of things that were said, but I would like to repeat one thing. He says, you know, I'm going to speak to every single person in this room. And I want you guys to listen, he said. And he said, we can't, be, we can't go on in 2022. And we can't live in this moment. And what the Lord is calling us to do with our minds still set on what happened in 2020. He says, if we do that, it is impossible for the church globally to move forward and to activate itself on this land for what it's calling it to do. So what we need to do is, is to get our mind out of the past and put it into this present and find what the Lord wants us to do from this moment on into the future. For this is a new season and a new time in which he's calling the church. And there's no way we're going to operate in this new season that he's calling us into if we continue to speak on and continue to put our mind in, in the things that have happened in the past. And when he said that, it hit my heart and I said, yes. The past is over with. And there's things that are still trickling on in the future from the past. But the church holds something, contains something that this world needs, that we're learning, that no man can give. We have the antidote. We have the answer. We have the risen Christ. And scripture says that all man has to do is to look unto him. If they look unto me, they'll be saved. They'll be healed. Just look unto me. So what do we do as a church? More than ever this year, lift Jesus up. Can't do that if we're still looking back. It's lift him up going forward. How many of you can say amen? Amen. It's God. So I want to share some scriptures to you. I'm going to ask um, Omar and Jessica to come up here. Ask Rudy to come up here. I don't want Rudy to be alone. 
I'm going to ask his beloved to come up here and stand right next to him. I'm going to ask Claudia to stand next to him. Maybe um, really come on this side because I know that we're like, I want people to see you as well. Praise God. I want to, as they're up here, I want to read these verses. And, um, and I want you to listen to this for a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, and we kind of got into this a little bit in our past services when we broke down some of this letter. But he starts to speak about what it looks like to be a worker of the Lord, and, a, and I like this word, an approved worker, someone who's approved. And, and, he's, and there's some just to listen to this. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, it says, work hard. Like, right there, amen, let's pray. <laughs> work hard. How are you supposed to work? Lazy? Halfway? If we're going to work for the Lord, how do you work? You just work hard. Oh, but, oh, but I'm, but, oh, but, but they, but, work hard. If you're going to do anything for God, you work hard. You work hard. And look what he says here. So that you can present yourself to God. And I love this. And you can receive his approval. Not for man. Though that, we'll get there. That's important. Like, you heard me preach this. Like, oh, I don't care what man says about me. You should. You should care what man says about you. Because that's your testimony. Work hard. So you can present yourself to God and you can receive his approval. But the first thing that we have to understand is, before I ever find approval in man, the first thing is, I've known that I have, my, I have approval in God. I found myself knowing what God says about me before what man says about me. And that's the most important thing. And he says this, be a, be a good worker. Again, a good worker, a hard worker. One who does not need to be ashamed. One who correctly, correctly explains the word of truth. Love that. If you're going to speak this and live this, make sure that you, that you live this and speak this well. And, 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 and make sure that you're not ashamed and you correctly use this, divide this stuff. Like Make sure that, that you break this down and you speak it and live it out amongst others correctly. And he says this in verse 16, and avoid, work hard and avoid. Avoid worthless and foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. What a beautiful scripture that is. How am I supposed to live? As you work hard for the Lord, close your mouth if it's nothing good. It's a beautiful scripture. Avoid the foolishness and the foolish talk. All that leads is to godlessness. And then he says, this kind of talk, it spreads like cancer. We've experienced that in our own personal lives, within our very church. We've seen cancer spread in this church. And it all started because of godlessness and godless talk. So what is he calling leaders to and Christians to? Avoid speaking like that. It spreads like cancer. And then he gives example. I love, I love Paul. He doesn't hide nothing back. He's like, I'm going to tell you who I'm talking about too. I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> but Paul says it. <laughs> he calls them by name. I will choose not to. He says, and he calls him by name, and then he says in verse 18, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection, but here was their issue. Their issue was, it was a false doctrine. It was heresy. They've left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. And in this way, they've turned some people away from the faith. Heresy. And then he says, but God's truth still stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. It continues to get better and better and better. He says in verse 20, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. And the expensive utensils are used for special occasions. And the cheap ones are for everyday use. You know what that is. You have a party. You take out the paper plates and the plastic utensils. Someone comes over to your house for dinner and you want to impress. You bring in the china plates and you bring in the, the gold-plated fork. All right. And he says this. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil. For honorable use, your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Keep yourself pure. And then he says, run. 
we've learned a lot already, right? Work hard, avoid worthless stuff, be pure. And then he says, run. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in... Again, he's stressing Paul, repeating himself, emphasizing. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Be patient with difficult people. Mm, not here, though. Gently you instruct those who oppose the truth. And perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. But I hope you see this text. It's, it's a call for, an, for approved workers. It's, it's a call to live a certain way. How many of you saw that? It's a call to have a good testimony. It's a call, and, and, and this, is, this is not exempt from any of our lives. All of us should take this and say, oh, that's just for a specific people. And that's for all of us. When it talks about leadership in the church, it says this is in, now I'm going to go rewind in 1 Timothy. In chapter 3, I want you to see what he says. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. Listen to some of these things. An elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. He must live wisely. He must have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or he must not be violent. He must, he must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not, the, for lo, not have love of money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Wow. An elder must be a new believer. An elder must not be a new believer. Because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fail. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him. So an elder has to have a good testimony. Leadership in the church, they must have a good testimony. They must speak well of them so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. There it is again, that wordage. Verse 8, in the same way, he says, deacons, deacons must be well respected. And deacons must have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers, dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. Let them be closely examined before they're appointed. And if they pass the test, everyone say test. Yeah. If they pass the test. Then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives, important that the wives are here because we know that in ministry, man does not carry ministry alone. Their whole household carries it. My wife carries ministry. My children, believe it or not, bear the weight of ministry as well. My whole household, when you get into ministry, the whole weight of ministry falls on the whole house. Now, I may have a different responsibility and call than those in my household, but they're in the ride with me. And we need to support and include each other in that call because we're united as one. Very important, important that their wives are up here. And look what it says. Their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything that they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. And he must manage his children and household well. And those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. How many of you could say amen? Amen. amen. So this is something that we're doing in our, at our nest. And I want to share this with you. And I think this is so encouraging for our body to see this and to be part of it. Because first off, you need to be part of it. It's biblical. And this is where we're at. We're growing within. We're focusing within. 
we're stretching and we're, we're doing it and God has given us the opportunity to do it in-house from our very own home, from those who call this place home. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we're able to do this. It's a good sign and it's a good image of our church that we're, that we're able to raise individuals from within our very own home to certain duties and to certain things as we just read. So I have asked these two families to be up here for a specific reason and I wanted to present it before you because this is very encouraging for the direction of our church. And you need to testify of this and you need to speak of this. And we'll be creative and find out ways and what you have to say about this stuff. Because this is the path that we're taking. Rudy is coming in into a, into a role and into a place where we're going to demand and ask more of him. And what that looks like is not necessarily the platform, but more of the servanthood where he needs to wait as a waiter waits on tables. So he's actually being lifted up, but in being lifted up, we're going to lift him down. I know that's the beauty of ministry, huh? The Lord says, if any of you want to be great, this is how you're great. You become a slave unto others. So I love the upside down world that we live in. We think to be great, give us a platform and let the world see that we're great. That's not what scripture says. So we want to push Rudy into a call of greatness. And to do that, he needs to serve tables well. And he needs to make sure that, he, that they're leaving a good tip. Because if they're leaving a good tip, that means he's a good waiter. If they're leaving a good testimony, that means he's done good with his life. And so has his wife. So Rudy is going to enter into a season of training, a season of testing, where the leadership and where the church will testify before ordination, whether he has made himself approved before the Lord and before this body as a good deacon that serves this church well. How many of you could say amen? So, we've seen testimony and we... He would not be placed in this if we haven't seen already in our leadership signs of this. If not, he wouldn't be up here. So now it's a continuation and it's a little bit more with eyes because now all of you know. All of you know when you drive by his house. All of you know in every conversation he has. All of you know in everything that he does who he's called to be. And you get have to give word for those things in his life. Keep him in prayer. Keep his wife in prayer as they're in this together. Amen? So that's something that we're going to be adding and something that we're going to be doing and really focusing on within our leadership of our church, really strengthening it. And then we have Omar and we have Jessica. And as, you've, as we've read these, this text and we've read some of this stuff, you see where they're at. Uh, you, you, you see some of the words that we read. And hopefully some of these things that we spoke about in Timothy, you could see some of these qualities in, in, in both these families and in both these men. I hope you see that. And in Omar, he's coming into a role of training and testing as well. Well, we're beginning to take him and take Jessica and to bring them in into the pastoralship of what is Nest Church. Okay. So, we're going to take Omar and Jessica and we're bringing them under our wings and we're having conversations and we're doing stuff. We're going to be doing stuff with them. And he's going to take on, she's going to take on roles here. And your words and your eyes, eyes have to be on them and your words have to speak well of them. If these are going to be some of the shepherds here at Nest Church as well. And they'll come into a role if they fulfill and if they pass the time of testing, they will also come into a, a moment of ordination where one day at our nest, sooner than later, as God sees it, sees it fits, and I have an idea, but we'll let God do it. Where we'll have a beautiful Sunday, and we'll call it Ordination Sunday. And we'll present this, and we'll be ordaining these gentlemen into their roles and into what they're called to do here at our nest. So keep Omar and keep Jessica in prayer as well, as they're taking on this call. A call to truly die to themselves die to their desires, their wants, and to really answer the call of the Lord here upon our nest. Now from there, who knows what could happen, but at least we're starting somewhere with these families. We're starting somewhere with Omar and Jessica. I hope you could join us and, and really get excited and say, wow, 
I see where Nest is going. I'm excited. I see that our leadership is growing and you're focusing on that and the church is focusing on that. And you're going to hear more things to come, I believe, in the weeks to come. They're going to be exciting. And I think it's going to be nothing but good for our house. Amen? Let's give God praise one more time. I'm going to ask Senior to come up here. I'm going to ask my wife to come up here as a, as a functioning uh, deacon, obviously, and my wife, no, um, uh, she needs no introduction. I mean, amen. Uh, if, there, if there is no Nancy, there is no Regal. And um, if you're close to us, you know exactly what I mean. All right? She, we're, we're laughing this. Oh. We're, we're, I said, like, God loves her so much. He took her, you see? It's just, but we were laughing this whole weekend because she is my backseat driver. Seriously. Like, Rigo left. I'm like, I know. Right. Stop. Red light every single time. So without her, I'm crashing. I'm taking red lights. I'm making wrong turns. I'm turning into the driveway of the wrong house without her. So she makes sure that I know where I live still after living in the same house for five years. After driving for, I don't know how many years I've been driving for, she still tells me what a red light means. And I say, I know. And she says, no, you don't. What's the word you use? I don't know how to say it in Spanish. Despital. You're so depitado that you, don't, you still don't. And you know what? She has a little bit of truth. A little bit of it. Into all of that stuff. I'm all over the place. Amen. Let's pray for them. Can you stand with me? Can you stretch out your hands? And right there where you're at, can you just begin to pray for Omar and pray for Jessica and pray for Rudy and pray for Claudia? Just ask the Lord to strengthen them. Ask the Lord to pour into them. Ask the Lord, Lord, give them strength to pour into our church, to lead our church well, to lead in our church well. Lord, Rudy needs to fulfill these things. Claudia right there alongside him, Lord. Lord, Omar needs to do these things. Jessica right there with him, Lord. There's a lot that's being asked, but Lord, we know that you've called them for this time. We thank you, Lord, for, for bringing these families into our church. We thank you, Lord God, for such a time, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, for these families, Lord. I thank you for Omar and Jessica. Lord, I believe and I know, Lord God, that what a time that this family is called to walk into. And Lord God, this is just the beginning of doors that you're going to open. And I, I, I mean, I can't wait to be part of it and see it unfold. I thank you for their testimony and for the ministry that they already have within our nest. And I pray, Lord God, as this is presented, Lord God, for all to know that it would have more glory and more weight. And that, Lord, everything that we spoke of would be true about them as we've read in the text, Lord, in your holy scriptures. So put an anointing put grace over them to do what you've called them to do and to do it well and to work hard in it and that they would never lose heart and that they would never grow weary and grow faint and if they do Lord God that they would be mature enough and wise enough to always find strength in you always find hope in your word and amongst good fellowship amongst holy men and holy women that are set apart as they're being called to be set apart Lord, that you would keep their mouths and their minds from foolishness that leads to evil behavior. But that you would keep them pure as we've just read. And holy, that Rudy as well would take on the role of deaconship and take it on well in our nest. Because we know that we need more people to rise up to serve our church well. In capacities that are behind closed doors that no one knows. And we pray, Lord God, that he would fill it and that he would have a heart. Lord God, to please you and, Lord, to serve your people. Thank you for Claudia. Thank you for Rudy, that they would support one another, strengthen one another, give hope to each other, and always be centered in your word. Lord, bless these families. Bless our team here at Ness. Bless our whole family here at Ness. Let the future, let this year give us direction as you've put vision in our hearts. And, Lord God, let us see fruit fruit of our labor Lord God and let us see the goodness of the Lord upon our church and upon this land and let us truly activate your goodness not just when we're together within the four walls but that we will begin to think outside that we will begin to activate things and learn to serve the world outside these walls 
Let Nest be a lighthouse who, shine, who shines bright so that those in darkness could run to it. And when they come to the feet of it, they come to the feet of Jesus. And they come to know him in a personal, intimate way. We thank you for them. We thank you for this family. We thank you for your blessings. And together we say, amen. amen. Come on, give God some praise. Amen, amen. So I'm going to ask you real quick. You may be seated. You may be seated. How many of you are done hearing from the Lord today? That was a test. Hopefully you say, no, give me more. How many of you want more? Woo! All right, praise God. Well, because you asked for it, you're going to get more. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to try in 40 minutes, in 40 minutes, we're going to try to unpack everything that God's put in our heart. So we're throwing Omar into the wolves. So I'm <laughs> just playing. Just playing, just playing. Yes or no? We're throwing, <laughs> should I have said that? All right, but you know what I mean. So we're throwing Omar in, and we said, what better way to throw Omar in? This is what we're going to do. We're going to preach our mission statement today. Does anyone know our mission statement? Woo! woo! You said woo? Stand up, Betsy. Yeah. Ready? Betsy, what's our mission statement? Say it loud. And wrong. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. All right. Lou, stand up. Loud, though, loud. What's our mission statement? Yes, amen. Praise God. Praise God. To ignite, to ignite an authentic love for God and people. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to throw Omar in after we've done this whole presentation and prayed for them. And we're going to say, you're going to start off the message. Omar's going to start in part one, ignite an authentic love for God. Right when he's done, I'm going to come up and finish part two, which is to ignite an authentic love for people. So come on, let's give God some praise. Omar's going to start us off. Okay, I have a lot of notes here, and Pastor had given me like a 20-minute time limit, and I promise you I'm going to try, but I have 11 pages of notes. So it's okay. That's what I'm talking about. It's a very big font. So it's okay, because if I don't finish, then I can carry this message to something uh, later on. Amen? So, man, it's, it's awesome what Pastor said, you know, the call to ministry, and it's not just to a leadership position, but the call to all ministry is like death to self and life in Christ. And I hope you guys get that. And I hope you guys walk in that. Hallelujah. So we've been preaching here for the last couple of weeks on something so important in the life of a believer. And that is that there is a calling of more in your life. And I hope that you guys know that. And I hope that you guys recognize that. Because the spirit given to you is not a spirit of complacency. How many of you guys have been complacent before? I've been complacent in my spiritual walk, in my job, in, in other aspects of life. I have been complacent. But the spirit that's given to you by the Lord is not a spirit of complacency. It's a call to greater and deeper things of God. A call to service. It's a call to service. Let me ask you guys this. Do you guys remember when you laid your life down at the cross? When you came to this altar or wherever it is that it happened, do you remember that exact moment? Because when that happened, when you laid your life down at the cross, is what I said, your life actually died. And you became alive in Christ and we no longer belong to ourselves because of it. And now that we are alive in Jesus, we have been placed on a mission. Look to the person next to you, tell them you're on a mission. You're on a mission. And I'm sure you guys know this, right? Like many companies, and maybe I'm sure maybe the place that you work for has a mission statement. All organizations and all companies have mission statements. But the statement, as, as Brother Lou said, and what is a mission statement? What is that? So through an easy Google search, I found out what a mission statement is. It's a formal summary of the aims and values of a company, organization, or individual. And I think about my prior job. I had a job when I was um, probably 18, 19 years old. And I used to work in a call center. I used to do customer service for Visa and MasterCard. And the mission statement was providing excellent customer service, and I forgot the rest. You know why? Because I didn't care. I didn't care what the values of the company were. I was 18 years old. I wanted to go in, clock in, get on the phone, and I took complaints all day. I go, okay, that's it. I want to get in and out. But I don't remember what the mission I just remember the first part, providing excellent customer service. And it went on and on, okay, to the customer. Blah, blah, blah. I, don't, it, I didn't care at the time. I want to go in and do my job and leave. But all companies have mission statements. 
Obviously, now as, you, as I've matured and we've gotten older, you know, we take mission statements a little more seriously in our workplace. I, I would hope so. So this is kind of cool. I, I, it's funny. I'm going to use this. I Googled mission statements for like top three companies, and Google's the first one that I looked up. So Google's mission statement is this. It is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That's Google. Amazon. We strive to offer our customers the lowest possible prices, the best available selection, and the utmost convenience. I just look at my wife because she is someone else on Amazon. You know what's funny? The mailman came up to me about two weeks ago. He goes, man, you guys always get packages. Oh, man. I wish my wife was in there because I would have just done this. Apple, to bring the best user experience to its customers through its innovative computer hardware, computer software, and services. So you see all companies and all corporations all have them. They all have mission statements. And what's the point of a mission statement? It's to point employees to the mission of the company and to instill certain values and goals within the employees. Because they want the employees to operate in a certain mindset that is goal-oriented to the company's values. I sound so corporate up here, right? <laughs> it sounds very corporate. So what is an actual mission? A mission is something that you want to accomplish, something that is set before you, is something that may be hard and that it might be challenging. And if, if you could bring up the mission statement of, of Nest Church on the screen, and Brother Lou did such a good job. So it's to ignite an authentic love for God and people. If you do not know it, please write it down, memorize it. That is the vision, that is the mission statement of our church. And mission statements are great, and every company can have a mission statement. But ask yourself this, are they effective if it's not done from an authentic place? How I was when I was 19. I just wanted to work. I didn't care about the company's mission statement. I just wanted to get work done and go home. It wasn't coming from an authentic place. So will an employee truly follow out a mission statement if they aren't invested in the cause of the organization? If your heart truly isn't into something, can you carry out the mission set before you? A better question might be, are you authentic in your mission now? So what is authenticity? The definition of authentic is something that is original or true and not a copy of anything else. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this show. It's called Pawn Stars. I love that show. Have you guys seen it before? Yeah. yeah so it's, it's about a pawn. It's a, it's a pawn shop that's out in Las Vegas, and it's this guy. He owns it with his old man, and his son works there. And the owner's name is Rick. But Pawn Stars is awesome, and it's such a neat and cool show. Uh, so people go into the pawn shop, and they want to sell certain items, and um, and you, you know, it's a lot of dramatics in it, and the cameras come in, and all these things. But it's cool because sometimes people come in with like really rare things. They come in with coins and they come, with, with, come in with cool paintings. And the owner, like he'll know a little bit about the history of the item, but sometimes he doesn't know if it's real or it's fake. So usually we know if things are fake, if there's something off with it, right? So you can look at a coin and you're like, wait a minute. You know, the, the stamping is kind of wrong. Um, there's a weird lady holding, instead of holding a flag, maybe she's holding a torch that's not supposed to be there. And it has to be congruent with the era and the year of the coin. So you look at these things and, man, wait a minute, I'm not too sure if this is real or not. So what does he do? Anytime he has a doubt, he calls in an expert. He says, I have a buddy that knows a lot about these things. Let me call him in. So the expert comes and the expert starts looking at things. And what does the expert look for? They're looking for certain features. They're looking for certain characteristics. And they're looking for certain distinguishing marks on the item. And the item has to fall under a certain criteria for it to be real. Because as you guys know, there's a lot of replicas out there. There's a lot of replicas out there. And the expert knows what to look for. And then they will certify if this is authentic. I think about my father-in-law, he had an amazing coin collection. And in his coin collection, I believe he had certain coins that had certificates of authenticity. He has paperwork saying that, yes, this is true and this is real. So that's what experts do. They're going to certify that these things are real. 
You know that God knows if we're authentic? We know this, right? God knows if you're authentic. He knows every thought, every intention, every desire that your heart has. He knows if you are authentic. He is the expert. So ask yourself this. Are we bearing the marks and features that we are his? What sets us apart from the replicas? What sets us apart from the fake? It's awesome because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus talks about people who are not authentic. And he says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Other translations may say ravenous wolves. And these people are fake. They look good on the outside, but their hearts are not authentic. They're just like replicas. They want to trick you. They want to make you believe that there's something that they are not. And they do a good job in fooling a lot of people. Has anybody here been fooled before? I've been fooled. And it's not a good feeling. I don't like being tricked. And I don't like being lied to. And I don't like being taken advantage of. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was younger. Not too much. I was probably like in my 20s, early 20s. So I had a group of friends. And we went to my buddy's house. And my buddy comes with a bunch of scratch-off tickets. I go, oh, man, that's cool. That's nice. Man. I love scratch-offs. So it's me and two of my friends, and we're all sitting there, and we're scratching, and these two guys are looking at me weird. I go, okay, whatever, man. So I start scratching, and, like, the, the scratch-off tickets, it's like you have to get, like, three money bags, you know, like three dollar signs. So I scratch off the first dollar sign. I go, oh, man, our sweet. Second dollar sign, I go, oh, my goodness, I need one more. And I scratch off a third dollar sign, and they said that I won $10,000. I didn't know what to do. And these guys are just staring at me. And I look down, and I, I blow it off. And I go, man, is this real? And I'm looking around, and I go, I won! 10,000! And I went crazy, and I ran around his house screaming, $10,000! And when I look at them, they're on the floor cracking up. I go, what's going on? I won, guys! And these guys were turning blue because they couldn't breathe. <laughs> and I go, wait, 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 hold on, wait, wait, what's going on here? They gave me a fake scratch-off ticket. It wasn't real, it was fake. I can't tell you how low my heart sank when I found out that I didn't win $10,000. It was terrible, I was tricked, I was lied to, I felt like I was taken advantage of. It took me a very long time to forgive these people. There's, I'm still friends with one of them today. But, it, but it's hard. It's hard. And then we have another set of people who believe that they are authentic, but they're not authentic. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, I'm sure you guys know this. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, catch this part, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many, many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That verse used to cut me to the heart. I never want to be that person standing before the Lord. Say, God, didn't I do all these great things for you? And he tells me, depart from me. I never knew you. Because I didn't do it from an authentic place. But the experts know, right? They see. They know that something is off because they don't see distinguishing marks. And Jesus said this, that we will know them by their fruits. We will know them by their fruits. And as Christians, we are living a life of constantly producing good fruit. We're not bad trees. As Jesus said, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, nor a good tree can produce bad fruit. Jesus says they will know us by our fruits. We are to love God authentically. So what does that look like? Something authentic will have distinguishing marks, and our fruits show our authenticity. Our service to people shows authenticity. So I ask you, what fruits are you producing, church? If we're loving God authentically, then the fruits come naturally. Because the heart of an authentic believer now has a new desire to serve the Lord and to serve God's people. 
Something real has distinguishing features. You will know it's not a replica. There's a lot of replicas in Christianity today. Many replicas in Christianity. They look like us. They sound like us. But they are not of us. We're different. We walk in a different manner. We speak in a different way. We are authentic. And authentic cannot be forced. Authentic cannot be forced. Do you guys remember in elementary school, you remember your first crush? The butterflies you get in your stomach. The nervousness around that person. None of that was fake. That's real. It's not forced. It's a real feeling that you guys had. And they come natural because it's a real feeling. And an authentic love for God is real. It's real. You don't have to force it. We love the Lord in response to what he has done for us. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Characteristics of an authentic Christian. Your fruit will show the authenticity. James chapter 2 verse 14 through 17 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, without giving to them the things that need for the body, what good is that? And I love verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. So we know this. We know that we are not saved by works. Right? We can't work our way to heaven. We're saved by grace through faith. But our works are a byproduct of our faith. And an authentic faith will produce good fruit. Fake does not continue. We know that fake gets exposed. Luke chapter 8 says this. For nothing is, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed. Nor anything hidden that will not be known or come to light. And we've seen this very many times in ministry so often. Someone we thought that might be a mighty person for the Lord becomes exposed and it is the most heart-wrenching thing for the church. It's hard for the church. It's hard for leadership. And it doesn't glorify the Lord. That's why many times the Lord exposes people like that. It's to humble them. And fake does not last. It doesn't last. Authenticity is something that lasts. Because it's real and something real is not burdensome. It's genuine. It flows natural. You know it's authentic when your heart has changed, right? When you have a heart of stone now changed to a heart of flesh. It's authentic. It's real. Your mind has changed. And every time I think about mind change, I think about repentance. A change in the mind and a continuous change unto satisfaction. It's something continual. The life of a Christian is not just, Lord, yes, okay, I said a prayer of repentance and I repent today. No, you are continuing living a lifestyle of repentance. It's continuous repentance. Your attitude changes. Your approach is different. We approach in love. We approach in patience, in gentleness, in kindness, and in service. Your demeanor is different. Our complete persona is new. And our identity is rooted in Jesus. We are authentic. And we continue to live in that. We strive for it. We strive for it. Are you guys authentic in here today? Right? This is an authentic group. We're authentic. What drives you to love God authentically? Authentically. You know, we've got to think about this. We don't love God because it's convenient for us. Because there's a benefit for us. We love God because of what he did for us. And an authentic love grips us in ways that nothing else could grip us. Something authentic is not forced. When you authentically love something, you submit to it. You don't resist it. You don't resist it. Think about this. Think about the disciples. They didn't follow Jesus forcefully. They followed him because they authentically loved him. Jesus didn't bribe them. They didn't follow him because they saw that they may have an earthly gain. They didn't follow him because they thought they were going to become popular. They followed him because from the core of their souls, they loved him. And that's how you know that love is real. That the disciples were willing to die for them. That's how you know the disciples really loved Christ. That it took them to their death. 
Somebody is not going to go to their death if the cause that they believe in is not real and the love that they have for a person is not real. Jesus said, people are going to know you're my disciples by love. And your love for God should ignite others. It should be contagious. And the goal of me up here is to ignite you, church. And I pray that the Holy Spirit keeps a fire in your heart that never goes out. An authentic fire to live different. So know your mission. I believe if Jesus had a mission statement, it may be something like this. And I, I pulled a couple scriptures. Matthew 4, 17. This could be one of Jesus' mission statements. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's aggressive. That's super aggressive, right? But I love it because it's straight to the point. And he's like, here it is. This is what I want you to do. This was one of the first words when Jesus began his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's a classic. Right? It tells it from the beginning to the end, the goal of the mission and what it is. And this next one I love. I really take this next one to heart. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That should be everybody in here. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Everybody in here has an anointing to proclaim good news to the poor. I pray that you guys are doing that. To proclaim good news to the lost. So church, we're on a mission. And the mission starts with authentically loving God. Know your mission. Be effective in your mission. And this is my prayer. That you have an authentic love for God because he has an authentic love for you. And how do I know this? I know this because of the gospel. And I don't know if you have caught this yet. I've preached behind this pulpit several times. And every time that I give a word, I present the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And I can promise you this, that any time I stand behind this pulpit... I will point you to the gospel of Jesus. Because it's by the power of the gospel of how I fell in love with God. And I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times. Be prepared to hear it a thousand more times. Because every time that I preach, I'm going to preach the gospel. It's the only message in the world that has the power to transform your heart. And every time I preach the gospel, I fall more in love with Jesus. And I love how Paul says, I'm not coming to you with words of eloquence, but only with truth of Scripture. Amen. And the gospel is this, is that we are unworthy because of sin. We are unworthy because of sin. We've turned away from God's ways and we now go our own ways. And now because of sin, it has entered the heart of man. There's a penalty to be paid. The Bible says that for the wages of sin is death. Do you guys know what wages are? Wages is something that you earn. We've earned it. God says that we've earned the death penalty. That's what the wages are because we have rebelled against him. That's what we earned. And if we die in a state of our sin, then we will be eternally separated from God forever. That's bad news. That's not good. That's terrible, horrifying news. And when I go to the streets and I preach this gospel, people don't like to hear these things. But it's the truth of Scripture. I have to confront man with the darkness of their hearts. But in the middle of the bad news, there is amazing news. There is good news. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. And the good news is this, is that 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in the form of a man in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus lived a perfect life of 33 years. A life that you and me cannot live for 33 seconds. And he was beaten. And he was mocked. And he was spit upon. Then he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And then he took up a cross and he went to Calvary. And on Calvary he was nailed on the cross for the sins of the world. And he died on the cross. And as he hung on the cross he was thinking about you. Specifically, individually here today. In a warehouse in Miami Lakes. And he knew that today you will be listening to the gospel and you have a decision to make. But the story doesn't end there. Because three days later... Jesus was resurrected from the dead, taking victory over sin and conquering death. Conquering death. And now the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's not a maybe. It's not, no, you have to do X, Y, Z to get here. No, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses. That's the gospel. I pray that through the gospel that has ignited an authentic love for God in your hearts, in your life. So church, what is the vision of your life within this body, within this church? Is that through the gospel for you to become ignited with an authentic love for God and for people. And to serve his people well. Everyone in here has a gift. Every single person under the sound of my voice today has a gift. Do not waste your gift. The Lord is waiting to take take you to a deeper place with it. Can we say yes and amen? Amen. Amen. I'll invite Pastor Rigo up here. I just pray for this. Lord God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the mission that you have placed within every believer within this place, Father God. Lord, it is a mission, a call to service, Lord. And I thank you for that calling to service, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that you have stirred within the hearts of your people, Lord, to be taken to a deeper place. I thank you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that people are rocked to their core in here. Surrender this day to you today. And together, God's people say yes and amen. 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 God bless you, guys.